Okay, welcome back. We are still in the middle of chapter three. Chapter three is a very long chapter. Um, we have done three of the five prefaces. The first preface was repeating the seven qualities that elicit trust that are mentioned in chapter two. In chapter two, we mentioned seven, seven qualities that elicit trust. Then in the beginning of chapter three, we said there are five prefaces, the first of which was to repeat those seven qualities. Okay? The second preface is that you should know that Hashem knows exactly what's going on inside of your mind and your heart. You can't fool Hashem, um, so he knows how real you are. And then we discussed, there are a couple of ways to understand that. One is that unless you're 100% real, then it's not considered real betochen. And the other one was, no, 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 it, it, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that you should know that to whatever extent you're not yet completely real, Hashem knows that. So that was a little bit easier way of, of understanding that meaning. Um, but at any rate, that's the second preface. You have to know Hashem knows everything that you're thinking and feeling. Um, and the third preface was that you should rely on Hashem exclusively, meaning not to mix and match and rely on Hashem along with some other power. Um, don't hedge your bets. It doesn't help. It only hurts. That was the third preface. Okay. And now we're going to learn the fourth preface. Fourth preface, uh, the fourth preface is very interesting and, uh, it's not that long, but I don't think we're going to cover much more than that tonight, just because um, I know how much explanation I think it requires. So let's go here into the text. Okay. And the fourth preface. His attention should be strong. Pay attention. He should be an observant Jew. By the way, you'll see that actually the, the pun is quite apt. And he should put out a lot of effort toward what? To fulfill that which the Creator has required him to do in order to serve him. To do Hashem's mitzvahs. To be careful not to do that which Hashem has warned us not to do. In accordance with, or proportionate to, I'm not sure how best to translate this, uh, that which the person wants the Creator to agree to what he is trusting in him for. In other words, just like I'm trusting in Hashem that he's going to take care of me, so, you know, a little menschlichkeit, a little decency, you know, it has to be a two-way street, you got to take care of him. Kamei she'amru razal, like our sages of blessed memory, say, do his will like it's yours, as if it were your will. in order that he should make your will as if it were his. Nullify your will before his will. Don't do what, don't do what you want to do, do what he wants to do. So that he should nullify the will of others before your will. And like it says, 
Vasei toif. Shkon eretz urei umuna. Trust in Hashem and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy steady support. The point is, it can't just be betach b'ashem, just have betochen, and then not to do what Hashem asks you to do. It's betach b'ashem, trust in Hashem, vasei toiv, and do good, meaning do what the Torah tells you to do. Okay? Va'amr, and it says, toiv Hashem l'koivecho l'nefesh tidrashenu. Hashem is good to those who hope for Him, to the soul that seeks Him. To the soul that seeks Him. In other words, don't tell Hashem, I want you, Hashem, to be interested in my good, but I don't want to be interested in your good. I don't, I don't want to hear about your Torah mitzvahs. Take care of me, and I don't have to do anything for you. Okay, you can't be like that. Now, this is not barter. Chas v'shalom. This is not um, spiritual materialism. You know what spiritual materialism is? It's the commoditization of spiritual values. When you take something that's intrinsically valuable because it is good, because it is godly, and you turn it into a commodity to trade, to broker, to make deals with, that's spiritual materialism. So you tell Hashem, I'll do what you want and you do what I want. Right? We call that davening in order to eat instead of eating in order to daven. There's a famous story, Rabbi Tzinrifka, the, uh, the wife of the Rebbe Marash. She was a very pious woman. She used to get up in the morning. She used to daven. She was ill, and she was prescribed medicine. So she, uh, what she did is that she was told, you have, to eat, you have to take the medicine first thing in the morning, and you have to take it on a full stomach. Well, she had a problem because she didn't have a full stomach in the morning because she, would, she wouldn't eat until after you daven because it says in Shulchan Aruch, and unless you're weak, you can't eat before davening. She didn't feel she was weak, even though she was under doctor's orders. But she wanted to be good. She was trying to be pious. So anyways, what she did, she figured out a trick. She woke up extra, extra early, and she davened, finished davening at the time where she'd normally wake up, and then she would eat and then take the medicine. So it was, if she, as it, was, it was as if she was taking the medicine at the time where she'd normally be getting up. But it was really much longer after she got up because she had already gotten up much earlier to, to, to finish davening. So her, her shver, her, her father-in-law, the Tamach Tzedek, heard about this and he told her, don't do this. He says, get up at your normal time, eat breakfast, take your medicine, and then go daven. He said, because it's better essen farm davening to eat before, far in Yiddish could be, could be for chronologically, it could also be tzulib, for the sake of. It's better to eat for the sake of prayer than to, prayer, than to, than to pray for the sake of eating. And, and, and what does that mean? It means, what is praying for the sake of eating? Praying for the sake of eating means a person commoditizes spirituality and says, look, Hashem, let's make a trade. I'll give you what you like, you give me what I like. Okay, that, that's, not a, that's not a relationship. I mean, that's, I don't, want to, I don't want to tell you what that is. That, that, I mean, that's, you're taking an intimate relationship and you're turning it into, a, into a, a, a callous business deal. Okay? So, clearly that's not what we're talking about. Clearly not what we're talking about. All right. But before I explain what we, are, what we are talking about, I want to build the question up a little bit more. Sometimes it helps to build the question more and then take care of it all at once. Okay? The, the bigger the question, the, the better the answer. Or uh, I remember, I forget who it was, but when I was a kid, my father told me that um, they asked some, some baseball player who used to, he used to, 
He was a good hitter. So they asked him, what do you think about fast pitches? He said, I like fast pitches because the faster they throw them, the harder I can hit them. Okay, so the bigger the question, the, the more uh, impactful the answer. So let, let, I want to continue building this question before we explain it, all right? Let's continue. Inside. However, if somebody purports to trust in Hashem, I say purports to. But at the same time, he's rebelling against him. How weak-minded such a person is. You see for yourself, for instance, a person who is appointed to a job. If you tell him to do something or not to do something, and he goes ahead and he does what he's not supposed to do, or doesn't do what he was supposed to do, that's the strongest reason for non-fulfillment of that which he, had, which he had relied upon the other to do. So it is sounding very much like a tit-for-tat relationship here, right? It is sounding like that. Okay. But again, I'm going to still build up the question. Here's, here's why it can't be that. Or that that's not a straightforward explanation or understanding of things. Because we already learned back in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 that Hashem is so good and so compassionate that He's good and compassionate even to the undeserving. Didn't You, you were with me. You remember when we learned that, right? Didn't we learn that? That Hashem even has compassion on the sinners. So, what are we saying now? It can't mean, well, if you don't do what Hashem commanded you to do, now you can't rely on Him. Yeah, yeah you can. He's so kind, He'll continue to, to take care of you, even if you're not holding up your end of the deal. Because it's not a deal. It's not a business pact. Clearly it's not. It's something else. What else? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, that's the answer. I don't want to rush to the answer yet. Now, I'll give you an answer, but it, it, it's, it's not entirely satisfying. An answer would be you could answer it like the Marpala Nefesh. The Marpala Nefesh says it doesn't mean that Hashem won't be kind to sinners. Because He will. What it means is, even if it looks like it's good right now, eventually it's, it's going to stop working for you. It can't last forever. That's how the Marpala Nefesh explains it. You're going to keep pushing your luck and pushing your luck and pushing your luck. Eventually it's going to stop working. That's an answer. I don't know how satisfying the answer is because basically it's saying Hashem is compassionate to a point, right? To a point. What? He runs out of compassion? <laughs> his, compassionate, his compassion is infinite. Okay, so we need a new way of understanding this whole thing. And there, Baruch Hashem, there are, there is another way of understanding this, um, but I want to take a step by step. And I also want to, for full disclosure, tell you, I am, I'm incapable of learning 
like this. I did not figure this out. I just know Judaism's best kept secret, which is the footnotes of Lakute Sichus. Okay, so you want to know my secret? That's my secret. By the way, that's the secret for basically everything I do that people think is smart. It's called the footnotes of Lakute Sichus. Okay. Um, you remember when I discussed the Sicha from Chelek Lamed Vav, the first Sicha of Lamed Vav, Parsha Shmois? Okay, I want to revisit that Sicha. Okay, so journey down here into the footnote. Look at footnote 35. The Rebbe addresses this issue right here. He quotes this shtikel Cheves Lavavis that we just learned. That's a quote from what we just read, right? Oh, that's what we're learning right now. Peregimel, chapter 3, Hagdama Haravias, preface number 4. So how are you going to explain the fact, on one hand, Hashem is ultimately merciful, so merciful that He's even merciful upon the sinners, even merciful, merciful upon those who rebel against Him. And at the same time, Rebbeinah Bechaya says, but if you rebel against Him, don't expect He's going to take care of you, and you're not holding up your end of the deal. Okay, so obviously it doesn't mean what we think it means. It means something different. Let's take this journey. Let's continue here. Zehu, this is Rakkedei Shanhagosei Ata Leitister Bitchene Ba'ashem. This is an order that his current behavior shouldn't be in contradiction to his trust in Hashem. What does that mean? Kiloyetochen. It's not possible. Livteich Ba'ashem to at one time. Trust in Hashem, and at the same time, rebel against Him. Like it explains over there, and like he says the metaphor that we just read, rather, The reason we trust in Hashem is not because we've earned it, because we were good, because we did what we were told to do, that's not why we trust in Hashem. You know why we trust in Hashem? Ultimately, because his, his kindness is upon all. He is abundantly, infinitely kind, even when we don't deserve it. The Rebbe refers us back to the beginning of, of chapter 2 of Shara B'tochen. Remember the first of the seven causes that elicit trust in Hashem? That Hashem has kindness and, 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 and grace and love. He also writes a similar thing at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 3. Hashem is more compassionate than all compassionate ones. So, what is the Rebbe explaining here? What is the key here? When the Rebbe says, Zehu rak kedeshan hagosei ata leitister bitchene ba'ashem. I mean, it's said very, very quickly over here, and it's easy to, to miss it.
So here's what I'm going to tell you, okay? That line makes perfect sense to me. That explanation makes perfect sense to me. It's not that I need to do certain things to earn Hashem's kindness, because you know what? Hashem is so kind, He's kind even if we didn't earn it. Nevertheless, I need to be a good boy and do what I was told to do. Why? So that not doing those things shouldn't conflict with my ability to trust in Him. What does that mean? What does that mean? Again, the Rebbe says it very quickly, and it might be easy to, to miss it, but I'll, I'll tell you, everything is Hashkacha Pratis, okay? So one of the things Hashkacha Pratis is that I learned a lot about um, how to make spiritual concepts more, um, not to make them more relevant, because they are relevant, but to, to say them in a way that just... In, in, in plain English, uh, from hanging around sober alcoholics, from people who got sober uh, in 12-step programs, because these guys speak spirituality in very simple, plain language, okay? And I'll tell you what I learned from them. And specifically, I learned something about Torah and mitzvahs, specifically from the non-Jewish sober alcoholics. Yeah. I, yeah, what am I, what am I going to tell you? How many times does a Jewish person find recovery and then have issues with Yiddishkeit? But not the issue that you may suspect. Not that the 12-step program is a contradiction to their, to their Jewish observance. No, no, no. Actually, I wrote a whole book called God of Our Understanding, which, if you want, you can go read it, and uh, it explains how there's no conflict. It's a conflict you might not expect. The conflict is like this. And I get these calls all the time. People who say, look, the third step is that I'm supposed to give my life and my will over to the care of God. I'm supposed to trust in God, Okay. But I don't want to be religious. Now, the Jews who ask this question are obviously Jews who come from a religious background because no Jew who comes from a secular background has this question or this, this, this problem. But Jews who come from a, a, a religious background, they'll say, look, I found the God of my understanding in recovery, and you know that's a kind God and a compassionate God, and... You know, then if, if, when I think about the Frum God, when I think about the God in religion, I get nervous, you know, because he's punishing and he's, he's mean. Okay, so first of all, I tell them that if you still think of God as punishing and mean, uh, you need to work that out on your fourth step, which is your resentment list, and you need to list <laughs> all of these resentments you have about religion and about the people who taught you and maybe even, you know, the, 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 the way that you were introduced to, to Judaism, because... That's, that's, that's a resentment issue, okay? But, in addition to that, a, a Jew is asking, do I need to keep Shabbos in order to recover? Do I need to put on tefillin in order to recover? Okay? Recovery is, I have to be spiritually fit, 
I have to be humble. I have to, uh, I, I have to uh, correct my wrongs. I have, you know, there's certain things I, you know, I, that I'll do that I have to do stock taking and, 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 and admit my character defects. Okay, that stuff I can do. But do, do, do I have to? Do I have to? Do I have to eat kosher? Right. So here's what I learned from the non-Jewish guys who had 20, 30 years sober in AA. Whenever the Jewish guys would ask those types of questions, the Jewish guys would find the other Jewish guys, and it would all of a sudden become like a whole yeshiva would break out, and they would have these deep questions, and it would never get resolved. Okay, Like, like Jews are very good at doing, prolonging. Uh, discussions and debates. But these crusty old sober alcoholics, these guys who had 20, 30 years of sobriety, and it was on more than one occasion that I saw them be just totally like befuddled by the whole discussion and tell the Jewish guy, I don't understand. What's your problem? You trust God? Well, yeah, that's my third step is I trust God, right? I made a decision to give my life over to the, the, the my, give my, what was it? I made a decision to give my uh, life over, let my, my, why am I, why am I, why am I being megamgam on this? Made a decision to give my life and my will over to the, oh, maybe I'm being megamgam because I'm trying to say me instead of we, and then it would flow better if I would say it we because that's the way it's written. Made a decision to give our life and our will over to the care of God, okay, as we understood it. So, you made a decision to give your life and your will over to the care of God. Okay. So that means you think that you need to work on Saturday. God says he doesn't need you to do that. He can make sure that you're going to earn a living even if you keep Shabbos. What do you call that? That's called giving over your life and your will over to the care of God. You think that you don't have time in the morning to go to synagogue and to pray and to put on tefillin, God says, yeah, you do. And if you do it my way, it'll work out a lot better than your way. And I'm telling you, I've heard this over and over again from the non-Jewish guys who were very clear on this, that the question of being Torah observant for a Jew, for a Jew, I mean, they didn't think they had to do it. They knew that they're not Jewish. <laughs> they can still eat their barbecue and whatever it is they enjoy. But they, for a Jew, what, 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 what part of surrender do you not understand? If you're surrendering to God's care, surrendering to God's care doesn't just mean that I'm accepting that whatever he does to me is for the good. Okay, that's part of it, that whatever Hashem engineers in my life is for the good. But there's something else. It also means surrendering to the fact that Torah and mitzvahs are for my benefit. And that when Hashem says, these are my rules, He's not trying to harass me or give me a hard time or make my life more difficult. He's taking care of me. He's taking care of me. So when He tells me, that relationship is off limits to you. Okay, it's not to to deprive me of my, of my happiness, it's to take care of me. When he tells me that food is not, you know, it's spiritually compatible with, with, with you, that's not the right gas for, you, for, for your motor. Okay, he's not trying to deprive me of an experience. Again, he, he's trying to take care of me. So here's the way to understand it. How do you explain the fact that you have to keep Torah mitzvahs in order to have bitachen work? Won't betachen work even if you don't do Torah mitzvahs? Isn't Hashem so kind that He won't even withhold His kindness even if you don't 
hold up your end of the bargain? And the answer is yes, technically, absolutely, that's true. And, and, and I'm going to show you in a second another footnote, also from this sicha, which brings that out even more clearly. Yeah, technically Hashem will take care of you even if you don't do what you're supposed to do. However, realistically, psychologically, that's very difficult to, to, to actually do. So look at the answer here. Zeurak. Rock is an exclusion. It means this. The way you know what the problem with this is? The problem isn't that oh, if you're not from Hashem, won't uh, doesn't have enough kindness for you. He has plenty of kindness for you, but it's not going to work. You know why it's not going to work? That your behavior itself is is a blaring contradiction to betochen. You can't have both. You can't ha- In other words, you trust in Hashem? You really trust that He's taking care of you? Then do the mitzvahs. Because that's part of how He takes care of you. Part of how Hashem makes sure that you go where you're supposed to go, when you're supposed to go there, is by following the structure that He's giving you in Torah and mitzvahs. And if you don't even trust that Torah and mitzvahs are for your benefit and taking care of you, then the whole concept of trust goes out the window. That's what it means. It's impossible to trust in Hashem and simultaneously rebel against Him. You understand? It's not that if I rebel against Him, now He doesn't have enough kindness kindness to spare. He has plenty of kindness. It's if I rebel against Him, how can I get through the cognitive dissonance of saying, I believe everything he does, to me, does for me is good, and, and, and Bob Ashur, at the very same moment, I don't believe that everything he wants for me is good, because I won't even open a Kitzah Shulchan Aruch and do what he says to do over there. So that's why it doesn't work, and never will, inherent, and inherently it, it, it fails. Now, I just want to continue here. Look at this other footnote, okay? Just bringing out the idea, technically speaking, even if you don't do what you're supposed to do, Hashem will still take care of you. In other words, it's not conditional. In other words, it's a limit on us, not a limit on Him. He can do it. He's infinitely patient and infinitely kind and infinitely merciful. It's a limitation on us. We're not going to be able to do that. Because by definition, if I don't even trust His system and His rules as outlined in Torah, then that's a fundamental lack of trust. Okay, but in theory... Could he still be kind to us, even if we, we don't do what we're supposed to do? Yeah. Okay, look at, look at footnote. Look at footnote uh, 40. Look at footnote 40. V'chein mefurish ikrim The sefer ikrim Yosef Albo. Amar HaKosov. Vavetech v'ashem chesed yusvenu. Somebody who trusts in Hashem. Chesed will, will surround him. Meaning like, it'll go chase him down. Even if he's not deserving, it is the way of Vitochin to draw down abundant kindness, gratuitous kindness on those who have Vitochin and Hashem. This is right there. The, the, the Ikrim says very clearly. If you will have enough hope, then chesed will never be withheld from him. 
So the problem of, of rebelling against Hashem is, how can you hope in a, in a God whose rules you don't even trust? It won't allow us to trust Him. Not that it won't allow Him to be kind to us even when we rebel. Okay. V'kein kosov, v'kadak kemach. Kadak kemach is also Rebbeinu Bechaya. U'beitech v'ashem, yusugov minatzara b'schara b'tochin. He will be saved from trouble. Someone who has a betochen in Hashem will be saved from trouble in the merit of the betochen, in reward for the betochen. Even though he deserved that problem. His problems were of his own making. He deserved the problem. And he'll be protected if he has betochen. Also see the ma'aral, nesivas elams, nesiva betochen, kod of lasayfe towards the end. The Rebbe brings a Yalkut Shemaini. And then one more thing, the Kasser Shemtev, the Baal Shemtev says, When they need to punish someone who deserves punishment, they, meaning the heavenly court, remove, take away from him his betochen. Why do they do that? It's very interesting even when he's deserving punishment. It says that they, they, they owe him a punishment. It's coming to him. They can't punish him, though, if he has betochen. If, in theory, a guy's rebelling and he deserves punishment for his rebellion, but he still has betochen in Hashem, they won't be able to punish him, punish him because his betochen will protect him and will only draw down kindness for him. So then what do they do? The only way to get the punishment to him is to take away his betochen. And then he loses his betochen, and then he's, he's vulnerable to, to being... Punished for in whatever way he was he was deserving punishment. Okay, <laughs> so let's just wrap this up over here. Okay, inside the text again, just last paragraph of uh, the fourth Hagdama. Kol shekain. Oh, okay, fine. So if now we have to understand the the muscle of the human relationship, it doesn't mean that just like if you're not reliable to someone, they're not going to be reliable to you. That's not what it means. It means. If somebody, all they had to offer you is what a human can offer you, you would still make sure to hold up some level of reliability in that relationship because this person is doing something for you. Now, kol shekain, how much more so Hashem who's doing everything for you. So it's not kol shekain in some mercenary, cynical way of spiritual materialism. Oh, Hashem's got the real goodies, so I better really curry favor with him. That's not what it means. What it means is... That if you're going to be a mensch to somebody and all they can give you is what a person gives you, think about what a mensch you owe it to Hashem to be for everything that he gives us. Okay? How much more so a person who rebels against the, the, the mitzvahs that Hashem gave us, which it is testified, it's known, that Hashem's mitzvahs, we know how beneficial they are to us. So if you rely on Hashem and you're not even trusting in something we know we have a guarantee is trustworthy, you're going to end up being disappointed and you will not be one. You won't be one who trusts in Hashem. You will not be called one who trusts in Hashem. Rather, you'll be like the one that Scripture says, what hope is there for the hypocrite who has robbed when God takes away his soul? Will God listen to his cry? The Yomer, and it says, Somebody who robs and he kills and commits sexual immorality and he swears falsely. 
the Amr, and it says, Vosim Vamaritim Lefonai, Babayas Hazah, Shenikra Shmi Olav. Then he comes and he stands in, in, in my house where my name is called. He, he's going to go and behave that way, and then he wants to stand in front of me. It's not going to work. The hypocrisy is unsustainable. The Amr, Hamaras Paritzim Hoya Habayas Hazah, Shenikra Shmi Olav. Has this house which bears my name become a den of thieves? Okay. In other words, very simple. I'm sorry for going so late, but let's, let's, let's sum it up. The fourth preface is, you have to do what Hashem asks you to do. Why? Not because of tit for tat, not because of spiritual materialism, not because of davening in order to eat. But because in order to really trust in Hashem, it means you have to believe that He has good ideas for you. Not just in theory, in practice. And if he tells you he wants you to do something a certain way, that's him taking care of you. And if you rebel against him, then you clearly don't think he's taking care of you. So how can you be trusting in Hashem at the same time you don't even want to follow his program, his divinely wise program that he set forth for you how to live a perfect life? Okay, And that's what it means. That's what it means. And, and, and if not for these uh, ha'aras, these, these footnotes and Lukut Yisichas, I have no idea what I would think it means, but I wouldn't think it means this. And Baruch Hashem, once you see it, it's very clear this is what it has to mean. This can't be a user relationship. Oh, I'll be from, so Hashem will be nice to me. Come on, what are we? It's, I need to be really in this relationship. And in this relationship means trust. And trust means not just I trust Hashem to run the world the way He needs to run the world. I trust that the Torah that Hashem gave me is the perfect plan for my life. Okay, thanks for uh, sticking with me late. And uh, God willing, we'll see you all tomorrow night.